It's no secret that the financial industry has an inclusion problem. Marginalized groups, including people of color, women, and the LGBTQI communities, feel discouraged from engaging in financial services. This leaves them at a disadvantage in building wealth and achieving economic security. But there are organizations out there working to change this. They're providing access to financial education, statistics, and resources for marginalized communities and helping them overcome barriers preventing them from achieving financial success. In this episode, recorded at FinCon 22, I invited Dr. Billy Hensley, CEO of the National Endowment for Financial Education, NEFI, to discuss the need for inclusion and equality through empowerment and education within the financial services sector. In particular, highlighting the most current issues affecting the financial lives of the LGBTQIA communities. I'm Bob Wheeler, and this is Money You Should Ask, where we explore why we do what we do when it comes to money. Our guest, Dr. Billy Hensley, is president and CEO of NEFI, a nonprofit foundation that champions effective financial education. NEFI is the independent centralizing voice providing leadership, research, and collaboration to advance financial well-being. In May 2022, NEFI surveyed U.S. adults who identify as LGBTQIA community members on a broad range of issues regarding their interactions with the financial services industry and their financial quality of life. I urge you to read the full report, how LGBTQIA representation assures better data. There needs to be more discussions about inclusion through education, which means everyone, which means you. A link to the full report is included in our show notes. Dr. Hensley, I'm so excited to have you on the show today. I know you've got a lot of information. I'm a huge fan of NEFI. And uh, so uh, thank you for coming. I'm glad to be here. I love talking about this and uh, shedding light on all kinds of aspects of financial education, how, how it can be better. Well, one of the things that I find interesting and what I love about what Nefi's doing is you're actually getting data, right? So somebody can say, oh, I feel sad or I feel poor or I feel like it's not working out for me. But you actually have data to back this up so that if somebody wants to trust the numbers, you've got some numbers. Right. Yeah. You did a talk yesterday. We're at FinCon. And there's a lot of data about the LGBTQ plus community and other underserved communities. What are some of the t- statistics you found that are just, I think people would find surprising? Well, sort of to position this, uh, being at FinCon where they're talking about money nerds, we're not just money nerds, we're data money nerds. So we're <laughs> even worse, you know. Uh, but we, the, the more you dig into this topic of money management, there's so many factors that influence our financial lives. And it's everything from how we make decisions to how we see ourselves in decisions to do we even feel present in the room when, they're, when we're talking about something that is highly personal as money and personal finance. And so what we wanted to do is uh, look deeper into LGBTQ issues, uh, where how people feel about money, where they have felt excluded. Um, and this really stemmed from being asked to write a blog post in 2021 for Pride Month. And there were very few um, data available mm-hmm. at all. 
uh, with, with queer folks and money. And so we did a survey in the spring, a uh, nationally represented sample, to, to dig into this because we wanted to give voice and we wanted to not only have anecdotal and qualitative information, but we wanted statistical information. And when you, I mean, it's surprising there wasn't a lot of data, um, or maybe it's not surprising. Maybe that, you know, everybody else is like, well, it doesn't impact me, so I don't, I'm not interested. Um, when you started digging, like, what were some of the surprising findings that, that you found? Well, um, I, I don't know that I would say that I felt terribly surprised because the more layers of the money onion we peel back here, uh, the, the more nuance that there is. And then, um, but the things that make sense in your gut, like, mm-hmm. People have been discriminated against in this community their whole life and almost every factor. Why not money as well? And so, but the rate of uh, discrimination being twice uh, as much as the general population is really the sort of the main point that I want listeners to understand and I want people to understand is that the general population at large experiences discrimination or bias on multiple levels, whether that's age, whether that's education level, uh, the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer community experiences this at twice that rate. And then you also compound on top of that all of the other issues of socioeconomic status, education level, age, retirement readiness, and so forth. Uh, it, It just compounds it at a factor by two. Do you think with the, the, the double discrimination and all that, that even though that's coming from the outside, there may be personal um, self, I, I don't want to say self-sabotage, but maybe like I'm undeserving, uh, you know, society says I don't belong here. And so maybe I, it's harder for me to find my, mm-hmm. my place or to feel like I'm actually part of the tribe. Yeah, I... I I think I would characterize it about being confident. Mm-hmm. When you feel beat down in certain ways mm-hmm. or you feel, I don't want to face that financial planner again or that teller. Oh, gosh, it's that's that one teller who always asks me how, you know, if I'm married or about my wife, for example. Right. I don't want to deal with that again. Right. And so um, it starts to chip away at your confidence. And if you've been discriminated against on pay, on job opportunities, and now... You, there are financial products that don't fit or you don't feel that work well for you in your situation or you feel that the services that you're trying to attain are harder to attain because of who you are. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're trying to live your life in an authentic way, but the uh, confidence has been chipped down and has been pushed away. Uh, and then maybe you've had little access for things like financial education, for example, which we know helps increase confidence. Right. Uh, when you have all of these barriers over and over and over, it does play at your ability to sort of advocate for yourself in a way that gives you enough confidence to sort of manage your financial life. Um, and, you know, this is not 100% of LGBTQ folks, but right. the percentage is very high. Yeah. And do you think, like I know in uh, Los Angeles and West Hollywood, um, there are a lot of gay men that may have a lot of debt, mm. right? That they, um, a couple different things. There was a period I had uh, several clients that had a lot of debt because they had tested positive. They figured, who cares? Oh. And I'm going to spend all this money. And then all of a sudden, oh, mm. 
I'm still around. Now I'm going to have to deal with my finances mm. um, because they thought, well, I'm not going to be around. Who cares? Mm. Um, and then another part of the population I've seen where I don't feel good about myself. So I'm going to go out and buy the nicest car, the fanciest clothes and let everybody mm. know how this I am. Mm-hmm. Um, even though underneath there's just this fear of, I hope nobody figures out that I'm just uh, presenting well. Mm. Well, I, I would say that's all of us, you know, gay, straight. <laughs> that's um, true. <laughs> you know, the keeping up with our neighbors, yeah. the, the the posturing ourselves with certain labels. Um, I mean, I literally was just walking down the hall um, and saw so many designer labels on clothes that, you know, it. it I question, you know, is this because this is the best product for them or are they positioning themselves a certain way? Right. And there are multiple conferences going on here, so I don't know if they're part of this group <laughs> or not. But, um, it, it, you know, I think that's a general sort of American trope, if you will. Mm. Uh, but I, I think that sense of um, trying to build confidence in any way we can, mm-hmm. if uh, clothing is something that works for you or travel or a nice... I, I love cars, personally. Okay. You know, I, I was always the person who had a new car every three or four years. I just This is who I am. I love cars, always have, as a, even as a kid. Um, and so that, to me, was a marker of success in some right. ways, even though... I was buying things I probably couldn't afford, especially in my 20s, you know, uh, that we all do, or a lot of us do. Um, So I think that plays out in a way that you're also sort of trying to navigate a system, trying to belong, um, knowing that you can't always bring your authentic full self Mm -hmm. to the table, whether that's in financial services or education or wherever that is. Um, And then we all try to find ways to sort of cope with that. And sometimes it's very unhealthy financial behaviors that we right. that we lean into. I don't think it's necessarily attributed to LGBTQ folks in particular. I think it's an American thing. But when you're already starting uh, with multiple layers of discrimination and bias to manage, um, our financial lives are compl- com- complicated. There are so many obstacles mm-hmm. that impede financial well-being for many of us. And the reason we do things like this poll, for example, is to shed light on the boulders, to shed light on the obstacles so that we can either help people navigate around them or Mm -hmm. advocate for their removal altogether, which is the ideal. Right. And so when you get this data um, and now you've got this information, how do you do that? How do you go out and, you know, you shed the light and, um, and then you help maybe help take down some walls. But how do you how does NEFI go out? with this data and say, hey, people, wake up. Look at this information. Yeah. Well, this is one of those. (laughs) Talking to you. (laughs) Talking to these really smart, brilliant people who have a platform. Mm -hmm. You know, we we want to uh, shed light. We want to give voice, provide platform to share all the trust that NEFI's been able to build over the years with being a research-based organization and say, hey, you've trusted us with these other questions. Here's another time we need to listen. And so the more that we can talk about these data, the more that we can shed light on experiences of, of disenfranchised or or any, any of us who can achieve our financial best life, mm-hmm. we want to be able to do that. And so we do it through media. We do it through research. We do it through research publications. You're sort of the old school peer-reviewed research journals. We, we're trying to touch it in as, in as many ways as possible. And... 
we hope that that allows uh, industry, we hope that it empowers the consumer to understand how do they advocate for themselves? How do they go back to the bank? Mm -hmm. How do they go to their financial planner and say, listen, um, uh, this has been an issue. Um, uh, I think we could do better with better language. I think we can do better with better products. And hopefully it empowers individuals to either advocate for themselves or the system change or ideally both. Yeah. Now, Nephi is getting ready to celebrate 30 years, yes, and, which is pretty awesome. Um, how long has financial literacy been a passion of yours? Well, you know, I didn't know what to call it when <laughs> I was in college. I, um, I remember distinctly sitting in a class. I won't say the class. I won't call out the name of the course, but it was an 8 a.m. class. And I would sit in that class and write out sort of all of my expenses. And so I guess I had a predisposition to at least record that. And, mm -hmm. and it was the sense of trying to create order in my mm -hmm. life in a way and, and write down the budget. So at that time, I think I was very interested in that. And then I started looking at it more closely, especially when I was in my 20s. And this was the right before the housing collapse. Mm -hmm. uh, 2004, I was asking myself, well, everyone else is buying a house. Why shouldn't I? Right. I bought a house, and then I read a book, uh, a personal finance book, my first one, and it basically told me I did everything wrong. <laughs> um, you know, I, I took the first product that was offered. I, I just bought because I didn't think about any of the expenses that went into buying a house. Right. I didn't have a water hose. I didn't have a rake or a hoe. I, I had nothing. <laughs> and yeah, I went from a one-bedroom apartment to a house and, and trying to make that transition. So I think that that deepened the interest. And then when I finished graduate school and I saw the position at NEFI, I started originally as director of education before I became CEO. And it was a marriage of research and decision-making and education. And it was sort of the perfect job for me. And so it, it, it elevated that interest that I already had. I wouldn't say I was a personal finance nerd, but I've always been a research nerd, if you will. Yeah. And I married those things and, and then add on to that philanthropy. And it's been an amazing job, an amazing experience. And, and you know, I think my particular lens of being, you know, growing up in a very low income, blue collar community, um, uh, it, it, I think it's brought a lens, especially for research about how we ask questions and what questions we ask. So, it, you know, that part of it has been fun is to try to figure out my own lane yeah. and, and how do we sort of elevate that. And so, you know, we're 30, I guess Nephi's a millennial, um, <laughs> exactly. if you will. So, <laughs> and growing up in um, a small town, blue collar, mm -hmm. low income, did your parents talk about money? Did they talk about money with you? Did they handle their money with finesse? Lord, like no. <laughs> <laughs> no to all of that. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, where I grew up, you just sort of get by, mm -hmm. you know. Um, Money was a means to an end. It was like you, you paid the bill that was in front of you. Mm -hmm. You put food on the table. There was no discussion about down the road. Um, 401k, 403b was not on the radar. None right. of us knew what that was. It sounds like computer code. You know, right. it, it just wasn't part of what we talked about. Mm -hmm. It was about the immediate need. And, and communities that are largely impoverished or poor, um, that's how you have to manage. And one of the things that I've said since I've been at NEFI is that low income and poor people in particular, like where I grew up, can stretch a dollar better than anyone. <laughs> Way better than probably yeah. anyone in this room, if you, yeah. you know, if we're being honest. But they don't have enough resources to like apply that on a large scale for their life. It's about getting from Wednesday 
It's a payday. Yeah. It's about paying the bill. And so we didn't talk about religion. We didn't talk about politics. And we didn't talk about money. Those yeah. are the things we didn't talk about. Right. I'm a Gen Xer. So, you know, I, I came of age in the early 90s. And, um, but my parents, you know, they struggled to make ends meet. They largely lived paycheck to paycheck. They lived, you know, they worked hourly jobs. Um, and just probably the last 10 years of their career, did they finally feel a little comfortable? Uh, but we never talked about it. We never talked about money management. The only messages I really got was uh, from my grandparents who avoided all debt. And that's almost the other extreme. You know, we, right. we hold that up, but then there's no example for how to manage a mortgage and how to manage a credit card. It was just sort of this evil thing that you push to the side. But the life we live now, you have to have some version of a card, whether it's a debit card or not. But And how do you manage that? We didn't talk about any of those things. Well, I'm thinking about up in the coal towns that I visited um, in high school, we would go and work in these different communities, uh, Drift, Kentucky and places. And uh, uh, education literacy, let alone financial mm-hmm. literacy, just wasn't always a thing. Um, a lot of people didn't get through high school. Um, and I yeah. remember this family talking about being able to stretch a dollar. This woman had several kids and man, with a piece of bacon and a bunch of flour, she could make sausage gravy and right. bacon gravy and make right. it like, mm-hmm. you know, one piece of bacon. I'm like, ah, man, like mm-hmm. she knew how to make that mm-hmm. dollar stretch and she'd give mm-hmm. you her last Coke in the refrigerator. Yeah. Um, and it, it was like, there's a will Mm-hmm. There to like, mm-hmm. we will survive. I yeah. mean, yeah. may not be in Beverly Hills, but we're gonna. <laughs> right, we're gonna eat. We're gonna eat, and we're gonna, um, <laughs> right. and we're gonna get there. And yeah. and so I appreciate that uh, the tenacity or the the uh, mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. just the the raw determination. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, it's hard. You go out, and then you go out into the cities, mm-hmm. or. Yeah. Um, I because I'm from Tennessee, like people went to Ohio and Kentucky and mm-hmm. and Clarksville because we had a tire plant that was sure. mm-hmm. related to Ohio and stuff. And so, um, but still going out into the city, but not having that education, mm-hmm. still only really maybe having yeah. some skill, right. physical labor, right? Um, and then it's nobody's just handing out this information, and mm-hmm. if you don't know to ask for it, right? You don't right. know to ask for it, right? You don't know what you don't know, and don't yeah, know. yeah. Well, that's the thing about. Um, uh, education, literacy, financial literacy, all these things that sort of are measures of knowledge, knowledge gain, knowledge application. And uh, a lot of the educational deficiencies that are sort of tracked in Appalachia in particular where I grew up, especially central Appalachia, um, uh, my grandfather, uh, he had to leave school when he was eight, eight years old, not eighth grade, third grade. Right. Uh, to help build the road, uh, to help, you know, it wasn't just the road through the creek right. at that, like that was at that point. He had to help build the road to help feed his family. So it wasn't that people didn't value the education. They just yep. had no choice. They had very few choices, and, and it was an opportunity for him to make money, contribute to the family. Um, and he never, wor- he never stopped working. He worked the rest of his life right. um, and died very young because he worked himself to death. Yeah. Um, but, you know, that... That's the part of uh, Appalachia that we don't talk about is that that determination that you're talking about, the survivorship, the work hard, make mm-hmm. it work, make it stretch. Um, and on some levels, I consider myself a person who maximizes every opportunity. And it's probably because of that. Right. You know, I'm the 
it's not it's not a consumer tip and trick thing. It is just an instinctual, or maybe it's learned. I don't know. Yeah. But I'm the person who squeezes the toothpaste until there is absolutely <laughs> nothing left in there. Uh, I you know uh, back back over it with the steamroller to get one more use out of that toothpaste. Yep. But that's who I am, uh, right. you know. But I will also go out and eat a really good dinner because I love food. Right. Uh, and be less stressed about that than I am that toothpaste went up a nickel. You know, uh, yeah. It's the we, essentials that bug me. You oh, know? my God. I just, <laughs> we've been talking about this a lot, how much I will save to save a buck, and it doesn't always save. Yeah. Right? But I'm just right. like, well, there's right. a one more drop in the soup can, right. and there's right. one. And I'm, right. I'm, I'm a little, uh, yeah, uh, compulsive about mm-hmm. getting every. And yes. we, you know, I grew up in a big family, so yeah, man, sure. you eat everything on your plate because there's people elsewhere starving, right. and so right. it, I can't, it's right. it's very difficult right. even in a restaurant to go. Right. Yeah, take no, uh, I'll take it to go. I'm, I'm just it's a it's a mindset that I right. fight against because. Right. It's so instinctual. It's so automatic. Well, I, you know, we've got these layers of our identity. And when you're thinking about this population that we survey, the LGBTQ population, you know, I'm a a gay male identifying person. Um, My sex is male. I grew up where I grew, you know, central Appalachia and eastern Kentucky in the coal fields. Uh, All of those identities layer on. Mm -hmm. And all of those, all of who I am. layers into my financial life, my financial identity, if you will. And when I think about these data in particular, uh, I kept thinking about my blue collar background and and sort of the poor community where I grew up and all the layers of that as people make decisions and as people try to navigate, as people don't even question authority when it comes to like advocating for themselves. And then I look at these data and I see the discrimination level. And then when I look at our our trans community, Um, it's not double, it's quadruple. Wow. You know, the discrimination. And so when you're bringing in a trans person who's, who's wanting to live their most authentic life, and part of that is to be able to pay for your most authentic life. Right. And when you can't fully participate in the financial services, it breaks my heart because I'm like, why should we all not have that path? Right. Why should we write off people? You know, why should they have to navigate foolishness at the bank right. or at the financial services sector? And the thing that's fascinating to me is our financial lives are largely remote now, largely yeah. online. And this survey was done in the spring of 2022. Um, so it's not old data. This right. is recent data. So it's reflecting the current financial lives of LGBTQ AI people. And um, we're interacting with financial services largely remotely and largely online. And this is still happening. Wow. And it's about the products, it's about the access. And then our trans uh, community, um, they are facing this way worse. And then you layer on to that being a person of color. Right. Uh, being a person from a low SES background. It, it's just so much harder. There's so many other layers. And so yeah. we've got to listen. We've got to give voice. Just like my sweet departed grandfather who worked himself to death, had, had he had different paths available to him, he would have been a CEO of a corporation because right. he died actually a very successful man. Uh, but it took, it was so much harder to get there. And if we can help ease the path, if we can create better on-ramps, if we can shed light that the, there's a giant boulder ahead, watch out, then maybe we have more CEOs who represent who we really are as a society. Yeah, I think that's awesome. What do you want your legacy at Nefi to be? 
better data. My job <laughs> is to assure better data. And that, you know, that it's not just more data, it's better data. And that, that answer and that conversation probably take an hour, but that's my job to assure better data. That's awesome. Well, Billy, we are uh, close to the Fast Five, and I know yep. today we're on a limited uh, interview schedule, and we're going to do a couple more. Okay. Um, so, but we're so we're going to jump into the Fast Five, and I, yep. I will say, Fast Five is really brought to you by Nefi in a way because they've been a sponsor here at FinCon, yeah, uh, helping people be able to use the equipment and, and right. participate. So, thank you, Nefi. Yes, of um, course. love Nefi. All right, so I'm just going to throw these out, okay, and let's sort of see where we go. All um, right. So, uh, do you always handle your own finances with ease and grace? Um, ease, yes. Grace, no. <laughs> uh, ease, yes. I mean, I still balance my checkbook every day. Okay. Uh, because that provides me, like, I feel good. Like, yeah. I feel like I achieved something. But Grace, probably not. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What's a, a secret indulgence that you, uh, that you like to spend money on? Maybe you feel guilty, maybe you don't, but, like, I got to have it. Um, a really good, I'm sorry, vegetarians, but a really good filet from, can I say the brand? <laughs> yeah. Can I say the, Ruth's Chris or Capital Grill. Those two organizations, those two restaurants and their filets fill my heart with joy and really good ice cream. Yes. And really good french fries and really good popsicles. Listen, it's all food based. It's food based. All right. I love yeah. that. I love yeah. that. Uh, what's the most shocking financial statistic you've seen that was shocking to you? Uh, that. Well, this is positive. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we're data that are positive. 88% of Americans want every single teen in this country to take a financial education course to graduate from high school. Oh, that's do awesome. You, do you know any other percentage that that many Americans agree on something? Wow, that's there's yeah. very few. Yes. That's and, a pretty and, awesome. And I think my goal is to get that to 99.9%. Yeah. Yeah. I... I, it still surprises me. Yeah, it is not taught and it is not mandatory. Yeah. We're getting At this there moment, more and more. It's, I think more and we more are. states. We yes. are. We are. What emotion do you experience most around money? Oh, recently, um, relief. I've mm. paid a lot of things off. Yeah. That that you know recently, but in general, there's always a layer of anxiety mm -hmm. when you grow up working class when you grow up poor, you, it never leaves you. And I can see it in my mother's eyes because she grew up incredibly. I don't mean just poor as in didn't have the new shoes, as right. in she didn't have running water until she was a teen. Yeah. That poor. Um, and that, that anxiety transcends. Um, so relief and anxiety at the moment. Yeah. Yeah. No. Awesome. Uh, is there one place in the world that you really want to travel to, but you haven't traveled to yet? Where is it, and are you going to go there? Um, I'd l I want to reschedule my Mediterranean cruise. Mm -hmm. That was, was supposed to happen in 2020. Okay. Um, I really want to do that. I want to like enjoy the food, especially the Tuscan food. If it's anything close to what I've had really good here, um, again, food. I, I mean, <laughs> it's a wonder I don't um, just go, you know, find a corner and just eat all the time. But um, yeah, I want to go to to Italy, to the um, uh, southern France because of the food. Yeah, yeah, awesome, good, good yes. choice. And, and, and I will do it. Yes, good, 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 good. All right. So, money and motivation are sweet spot. Eminem. Um, do you have a practical financial tip or a piece of wealth wisdom, something that's worked for you that you could share with the listeners? 
Yeah, I mean, th- this is pretty fundamental and basic, but I-, I go back to my first couple of jobs, back when you actually got paper, when you started a job. Um, maximize your benefits. Take advantage of everything your employer offers because it is compensation. Yeah. You know, your retirement match, your health insurance, your EAP, whatever it is your employer is offering you, they're offering that because they want you to be there. They want to incentivize you to stay. Yeah. So use it all. Use your vision benefit. Use your, use it all. Use get, it all. Get the most out of it. Yeah. And get don't them. don't leave vacation days on the table because that is just giving back money. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And 401k match. Yeah. Yes. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. Don't give up the match. Yes. It's yes. amazing how many people. Yeah. yeah. I think it's because people don't understand what it does to their liquidity. I think yeah. if we showed them the calculation of like, well, it's only an extra $30 a month you're getting, mm-hmm. that may be enough that people still say no because their life is so tight financially. Yeah. But just know that eventually, you know, maybe you can, as you get a raise, put that in there. I, I do think if we, if we, people understood what it did to their net pay, mm-hmm. that they may participate more often. Yeah. I think so. Financial education, right. which is what you are doing. <laughs> that is what you're doing. Well, I yeah. love that you're out there grabbing the data, that you're out there doing the work and spotlighting the boulders ahead, yes. right? Because there's so many people out there that that need, that want, uh, that don't know about this financial literacy piece. Um, and they struggle. They think they're alone. And so I love that uh, Nefi is out there educating, getting the data, showing it pe- to people that can help make a difference yeah. um, because that's what you need as well as allies to help uh, move us along. So I so yeah. appreciate what you're doing. Where can people find you and Nifi on social media and online? Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Dr. Billy Hensley, D-R Billy Hensley. And then Nifi is uh, at Nifi underscore org, O-R-G, N-E-F-E underscore org. Um, and then, you know, LinkedIn, you just look for our name and you, you can find us on LinkedIn. And then nefe.org is our website. Great. Well, we will put all of that information in the, the links and uh, congratulations on 30 years yes. with Nefi. And it's just been such a pleasure. I love Nefi, love what they're doing and excited because we're going to be doing Nefi in November. Yes. Um, so more to come. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you.